Welcome back to Bookmarks and Booze. This week's trigger warnings include infidelity, divorce ideation, bodily effects of poisoning, blood, recall of a past miscarriage, brief predatory behaviour against an adolescent and brief suicide ideation. If this week isn't for you, then we look forward to seeing you next week. So I have a confession to make that I do not have an alcoholic beverage in front of me right now. I know it's the name of the podcast, but hear me out. (laughs) I have literally been drinking for three days straight and I can't do it anymore. I am not 21. I am 29 and I feel like I'm going to die. And so proprietors of positive of healthy drinking on this show. Yes. Responsible drinking. I have not been. My body requires H2O. It's just Mm. begging. I am also not, do not have an alcoholic beverage in front wow. of me. Yeah. I know. It's okay because Sid has one. So technically we're still fine. Yeah. And have I have enough anger about the ending of this book to get us through. Oh. I'm glad you had fun. I did have fun. It's nice to have fun. Um, but yeah, maybe too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I shall drink for all three of us. And this week the listeners will be like, why have Christina and, and Emma got such better concise points than Sid (laughs) and it'll just be because you have better points than me (laughs) (laughs) hello bookworms welcome to bookmarks and booze where we believe if you're gonna slag off a book do it accurately join us each week as three close friends make our way through controversial books and their most brutal reviews Please note, gentle listener, that we'll be giving you our totally honest opinions with drinks in hand, and this podcast will contain swearing and sports. The Lost Apothecary is the New York Times bestseller debut book written by Sarah Penner, released in March 2021. There was a lot of hype surrounding this book prior to release. It was named one of the most anticipated books of the year by CNN, Hello, Newsweek and O, The Oprah Magazine. It was nominated for a Goodreads Choice Award for both historical fiction and debut novel and Fox have already picked up the rights to make a TV adaptation of this book. The book follows two connected timelines. In the dark recesses of 18th century London, desperate women of the city whisper of a secret apothecary named Nella, a once-respected healer who now uses her knowledge for a darker purpose, to free those in need of the oppressive men in their lives. Nella administers her poisons with only two stipulations. They must never be used to harm another woman, and each transaction must be meticulously recorded in the apothecary's register. But her hidden world threatens to unravel when she forms an unlikely relationship with a precocious new patron, 12-year-old Eliza Fanning, who, while vying to act as Nella's apprentice, makes a grave mistake with one of the latest poisons. This error sets in motion a string of events that threaten to expose the name of every woman in Nella's register, and Nella and Eliza must race against time to prevent the long-awaited consequences of their operation catching up with them. Meanwhile, in the present day, Caroline Parswell has travelled from America to London for a romantic 10th wedding anniversary trip, notably alone, after discovering her husband has been having an affair with a work colleague. After dejectedly wandering the city, she discovers a group of mudlarkers on the bank of the Thames, and in joining them, unearths an old apothecary vial. In her heartbreak, she throws herself headfirst into investigating the artefact, invigorating her past passion for history, which had been quashed by her married life, only to discover that she's found a link to the unsolved apothecary murders that rocked London over two centuries ago. As she struggles to balance her need for answers with her husband's attempts at reconciliation, 
Her world collides with Nella's and Eliza's in a sudden twist of fate, putting her own life as well as those around her in grave jeopardy. With the reviews, there were some fantastic ones. Um, and if it's okay with you guys, I would like to start with my favourite. It's Jenny, who rated it two stars, spicy as mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> End of review. <laughs> Jenny's my kind of woman. That's so accurate. <laughs> my other favourite was Amazon by SW. Um, not realistic and weird uh, was the title. <laughs> There are so many implausible things that happen in this book. The author is also very sympathetic to a character who sells deadly poison to women seeking to do away with their husbands. This character is only slightly weirder than the present day young woman who, without chasing any false leads, unravels a 200 year old secret in the space of three days. Yeah. (laughs) Just a badly written book. I I mostly agree with that review. I quite liked (laughs) Nella. But apart from that, yeah. <laughs> I liked Nella too, Sid. I agree. So it is worth noting, just to sort of precursor everything that undoubtedly we will say, all the reviews that I've included pretty much this week, um, bar one very glowing review by NPR, were all from Amazon and Goodreads, um, because that's all I could find. Yeah, who was it me who picked this book? It was, was you. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because the reason why I picked it was because it was in so many bestseller lists. Like it was on the Oprah one, it was in the New York Times one, as you said. And so it's so shocking that it was this bad. Hello Magazine, same. Bustle, same. Good Housekeeping, same. Like it's, is- it was described as like loads of twists and turns and really dark and, you know, a real feminist, morally ambiguous. And it was just bollocks. It was <laughs> bollocks. Utter bollocks from start to finish. It was like a... I've written in my notes, the first line is, flopped like a wet fart. (laughs) That's how disappointed I was. (laughs) I was so disappointed. I've literally rated it a two because I just could not with Caroline. I'm sorry. Okay, so She's a fucking idiot of the highest proportion. So the book flicks between these two time periods, doesn't it? We're following two women, one in the 1800s and one in modern day. The modern day lady is Caroline and she is on what would have been her anniversary trip to London. The other woman that we're following is Nella and she is an apothecary dishing out various poisons to women of London in the 1800s to poison men. Exclusively men. Mm. So you can see why we were excited and... (laughs) It just really didn't deliver. It was kind of like a bad date. You know, I went to all the effort. I was really excited and then left just bitterly, bitterly disappointed. I mean, the concept of it is so clever, like the actual concept. That's what makes it doubly disappointing is the idea that someone finds out about this apothecary that's been kept secret for generations it just could have been so cool like poisoning moral ambiguity and feminism and these two different times and these people bridging this gap between these two different times and finding out this terrible like multi-layered secret allegra on goodreads described it as aggressively surface level which i thought was was so so accurate like it just kept floundering on the surface with zero depth. There's no nuance. It didn't leave anything for you to work out. It was literally like she would explain every single thing that was going on in excruciating detail and every thought process that was going through her mind. 
Could we say, to play devil's advocate, could we say that the ending is left ambiguous with regards to whether or not Nella lived? Or do we think that it's pretty black and white that she was sort of magically brought back from the edge? It was trying to be ambiguous, but I think it was leaning that way. It felt very Disney ending, which I was furious. So when I messaged you two on our group chat, and I was like, I'm done, and we need to talk about this soon because (laughs) I have a lot of feelings. That was why. I was like, how in the fresh fuck is she supposed to have, in those days, come back from a life of toil and misery and hard labour? I feel like there's an awful lot to discuss with regards to the plot. So shall we start off a bit lighter with her writing style? Oh, yeah. dear Lord. Now, okay. <laughs> I didn't necessarily... Okay, so the, one of the main things I noticed, and Christina, you and I have discussed this because you are writing a book where you have to do a reasonable amount of research so that you don't come off sounding like you don't know what you're talking about. Now, this, this is, is clearly <laughs> an American author because we have got a very proper British mudlarking man saying sneakers, which... Mm. Yes! Oh, my God! Th- yes, this is and- written in my notes. The number of times she uses... English people saying American things when in the 1790s she's like can you put that in the trash in the trash I noted trash trash sneakers and then she tries and just gets it wrong so there's a there's a a part where she says that her friend has bought her a lunch and she says you really must try the, the biscuit it's quite good and I thought oh okay we would say biscuit but then it's a big chocolate chip cookie and we we'd call that a cookie yeah. so she's she's gone oh english people biscuit right not cookie no that that is a cookie and it's like the one the one time that she tried it she just missed the mark <laughs> she got it wrong in the 1790s as well because a woman of society in 1791 would not have used the term okay and yeah. a lot of people picked up on that in their reviews as well it's ironic actually because i immediately had a problem with the shallowness of the writing style in the present day and with Caroline I just didn't relate to Caroline at all because Caroline was thick to be honest with you yes (laughs) like I really struggled with Caroline but I was kept going in the first sort of third of the book by the writing style more in the past I, I felt that that was her better level of writing skill it was like she'd only researched in any real thorough detail the poisons and then she was just ramming them down your throat at every given opportunity. The vast array of like a tincture for this. And she would go on these like lists of a tincture for this and a, and a potion for that and start listing all the ingredients and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but then you're saying to Nella, oh, I'll just go round the block and get that. And I'm like, yeah. they don't have block. What are you talking about? It's like you've done loads of research in one particular area and then you've just sacked off the rest. I feel like those kind of, see, I'm, I'm quite forgiving, as you guys know. Like, I, I, I just like reading really in the right podcast Um, (laughs) so I can forgive quite a lot but I was irritated by that because I feel like that's quite an easy mistake to avoid like I mean why has her editor not picked up on the fact that she's using the wrong colloquialisms yeah they could have got one regular English person to have read through that book and could have gone and corrected loads of those also there were so many times when she hadn't researched things or just hadn't thought things through and it actually created a massive plot hole like the Mm. Eliza period thing where she doesn't know what her period is but then they're like oh I grew up on the farm and you know my dad was sad to have one less set of hands on the farm and I'm like well if you grew up on a farm you'd know what a period is Surely if you're breeding livestock, you would understand what babies are and how they come about and what a period is. Unless maybe that was just never 
explain to her maybe there is that void between like the kind of things that you do and don't speak about or maybe she thinks it's something that only happens to animals I don't know but yeah I do know what you mean there was quite a lot of inconsistencies honestly when you said in that review that she sort of immediately gets it right without any wrong footing or any like Mm. she's a professional investigator that And the incorrect usage of various words really took me out of it. Several things really frustrated me. I agree with Emma in so much as that Eliza character, who is sort of our young, plucky house girl that ends up somehow, because her mistress wants to kill someone, meeting Nella, and then they sort of form this little friendship and she goes and apprentices under her, essentially. That was a, a huge plot hole inconsistency for me in terms of character development, because she's grown up in this shielded country farm environment you're going to be naturally very intimidated as a child, essentially, in a brand new big city and especially in a dingy, shitty part of town. And so her then just sort of being like immediately brave enough to go and do those things did not add up for me whatsoever. Also, the fact that she then knows she's with some medicine woman and she's having issues. Why earlier in the book, she didn't say to Nella, help, I'm bleeding. You can fix stuff. Help me. Well, this is one of the things that the reviews picked out also. One of the reviews said, this is what I thought was one of the best reviews I read, actually. It was from Yun on Goodreads. And she said, this story also employs one of my pet peeves, which is that pretty much every conflict comes from a misunderstanding that can be quickly explained away with a sentence or two. Not mm. telling the truth isn't an interesting plot device. It happens all the time like that, like you say, where people could have just said something very rudimentary And then it would have solved the entire situation. So even the police investigation at the end, when she's sitting in the police interrogation, she's just floundering and lying and saying, oh, well, I didn't mention this because I thought this eventuality would happen. And I'm like, you would just tell them exactly what you'd done because you're innocent. So you would just lay out, right, okay, this is what happened step by step. You wouldn't start holding things back when you've got two policemen in front of you. Like, well, how do you explain all of this stuff? And then she magically didn't show them the notes and the stuff in her bag that she just forgot was in there because she was panicking. And they even had to, the fact that she felt justified in having to explain herself why that wasn't used, Mm. it was like, oh, honey, edit it out. It was very convoluted. It was. Because, I mean, I'll I'll be honest, at that part where her diary was open, and I think it's the end of the chapter, they say that, you know, she's going to come in the van because they have some questions for her. I thought, oh, this is picked up. This is a bit interesting. Okay, they think that she's she's poisoned him. Oh, okay, this is all coming together. Yeah, so what are you doing there? Mm. And then the police investigation happened, and then it was like, oh, I'll get in, you know, Miss Historian in. Yeah, and, Gainer. And, Gainer. Yes, Gainer. And well, then not really use her. I'll just sort of have her about. And then, <laughs> and then she sort of doesn't really think anything through and just keeps making these strange decisions. Also, and- in, in what universe would you go to the British Library on a whim go and find some random person and that person says who has a full-time job as a librarian and and a researcher turns around and says to you oh yeah of course you know what it's really rare someone comes in here and is interested in history in the British (laughs) library (laughs) let me give you our time Like, you're very rare, rare birds. I'm like, old books in this place filled with old books, you know? Like, she doesn't have a six-month waiting list. Yeah. And she gives her her personal phone number. Like, suddenly <laughs> they're BFFs. I'm like, it would never happen. It's interesting, oh isn't it? God. Because I think what she was trying to do here... So, I mean, most of our 
characters for good or for bad are women which I liked you know that's that's unusual but mm. I think what she was trying to do here was really showcase and cultivate these these meaningful friendships but a lot of them come off as really quite trite like I, I felt mm. like the relationship between Caroline and Gaynor seemed to move quite quickly and then towards the end when Caroline's telling Gaynor about her plans to go to uni and stuff her, her eyes are welling up it seems to purely be for the sake of saying look at these women that are friends like it didn't really it's quite apparent that Sarah Penner has never met a British woman in her entire life because I'm not being funny but I don't meet someone within three days and then they're asking me to go out with them for cocktails and then go to Paris on a girl's trip who the fuck has she met I'm not being funny (laughs) It's very American, isn't it? Caroline's got a best friend at home who's who's lightly touched on. She's got someone that she'd been friends with for years and years and years. So it might have been nice to see a bit more of that relationship rather than the woman she's known for three days. Can we also talk about James, the husband? Oh, my God. He's not even a fun villain. You know, like Ian Ventham in Thursday Murder Club was fun because he was just ridiculously over-the-top villainous. Like, everything he did just dripped in villainy, whereas James is just a complete (laughs) wet wipe. Like, the most two-dimensional villain of all time. What, you're you're an accountant in the city and you fucked your secretary? Wow, you know, that's different. Inspired. It's the most cliched (laughs) cheating scenario. For me, it was the... He deliberately poisoned himself to get her attention. What man that's oh, <laughs> so know. involved? I, you know what though? That bit I found believable. I really did. I read no, that. No, did really. Yeah, I read that and I was like, I know motherfuckers that would do something like that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, but at the same time, it wasn't. Didn't feel consistent with the character he'd been portrayed as to me. He was so mm. self-involved and so about creating his own perfect life that for him to do something that was so detrimental to himself didn't quite add up for me. Perhaps the character thought he was going to get a bit sick. I don't know if he thought it was like a life or death situation. I just thought the character development in general was poor. And so that to me maybe was a, a reflection of she wanted to give him a little bit more depth and a little bit more manipulation than she'd actually created for us as a reader before that point. On the short list of things I did like, I like that she didn't get back together with him. Yeah. yeah. I was reading it and I was like, if she ends up back with this guy, I'm I'm done. No, I'm going to scream. Yeah. <laughs> did, did either of you find that the writing was so awful that you could kind of tell that something was going to happen with the eucalyptus? Cause I actually me, didn't know. No, I didn't. You're I, just smart, Emma. No, I <laughs> You know what it is? It's like when you watch really childish cinema, like Marvel movies, so it'll be like a phrase that they say, something that happens or a coaster or something like that, an object, and then they'll just focus on it for a little bit longer to make it stick into your mind, and then they refer back to it. And once you've watched a few of them, you can kind of see when they're starting to do that. I love you 3000 and all of that. Little catchphrases that you think, oh, they're going to repeat that later on, I can tell. Kind of like when you're watching an old cartoon or playing an old video game and then there's a piece of rock outlined against the background and you know that that's the thing you're supposed to be interacting with or the thing that's going to move. The eucalyptus, she was literally like going into all of this fucking, even more pointless than usual for her. The most pointless (laughs) commentary about, I use it when I feel sick and it was recommended to me by this person and it's in this section of my wash bag in this part of the bathroom. And I was like, okay, they're going to refer back to this because this is so mind-numbing that's actually a really good point do you know 
if it wasn't a plot point you're right she probably would have been like yeah there's can you some eucalyptus oil in the bathroom mm-hmm. and kind of would have dropped it yeah i mean I, i'll be honest i didn't notice it at the time but now that you've pointed it out yes Talking about trying to get on your bandwagon of optimism, Sid, uh, it's hard for me, but I'll try. <laughs> I I did enjoy the premise of Nella's shop. So I liked mm. that she had a secret compartment at the back. I liked that. I thought that was quite well thought out. Um, I liked that she had the unassuming barrel that people would leave notes in. And then the secrecy and you know of that little kind of girls club that was created by this wronged, you know, apothecary. I thought was great. And I loved Nella's relationship with her mum and the reflections on that. I thought they were some of the best parts of the book. They sort of saved it from being a proper write-off completely. I think that relationship between Eliza and Nella shows that you can cultivate a meaningful bond (laughs) over a short time because there was context there. So it makes sense that Nella would feel protective and motherly towards Eliza because she lost her own child. And it makes sense that Eliza would cling to Nella because she's missing, especially now that her mistress has gone away, she's missing a mother figure in her life. So it gives us a, a solid basis to work from and you see why they would become very, very close very, very quickly rather than two women that like coffee yeah i mean their friendship and history (laughs) yeah i mean and i'm not being funny as well but poor gainer i mean i felt that she was very used by caroline caroline just seems to sort of go blissfully through life just feeling like the victim all the time (laughs) and using everyone and i'm just like bitch who do you think you are i know you guys liked nella i didn't like her I didn't like any of them. I didn't like (laughs) Nella as well. How has she been an apothecary, a murderous apothecary for this long without being caught? Considering in her cupboard, she has old jars that she's kept that have her address on when she's murdering people. Well, I think the ones ones with the address on. They were hard (laughs) hard ones. But why would you not just throw them away? I just what's like, wrong with her she's the worst murderer of all time I think <laughs> she to be caught. you know what I really I don't know why I keep defending this book because I do agree with you I guys I don't partic- either. me neither I don't know why I'm doing this I don't I don't particularly enjoy it either but I think <laughs> that she was holding on to the vials through some kind of emotional connection to when the apothecary was a legitimate business and when her mum was around. I think she does say something about it. She does. And she also says something to that effect about the fact that she writes down their names and uh, what she's used to poison people with yeah. and writes all that down in a big book. But, I mean, then... it's not like she's giving it to the accountant, is it? No. Let's be honest. How did you not get her found out for so long? Like, you're very lucky, if anything. She's like, oh, the queens of fortune have come to... I'm like, no, you were just <laughs> shit. <laughs> you're a rubbish serial killer. With the ones with the address on, I'm like, okay, this woman works alone. She she didn't expect some little kid to come in and start bottling poison. So I can understand that she would be like, not those ones. It's got my address on. But the bear it seems to be an unnecessary risk. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she literally lives in Bear Alley. Like, riddle me right. that, Sherlock Holmes, Bear, Bear Alley. I mean, and then she's like, oh, I guess the police haven't worked it out yet. I'm like, well, they're fucking stupid as well. <laughs> the police scene was my least favourite in the entire book. It literally made me physically angry. I could feel it in my forearms. But it didn't make any fucking sense. It literally didn't make sense. Sorry to interrupt you. Are we talking no, about fine. the end where they don't recognise her suddenly? Yeah, magically, even though they've been chasing her for hours, on top of the fact that they can see that there's the two of them together and then one of them jumps off a bridge at the end. 
spoiler alert but I mean you're listening to it so you know you brought this on yourself but at the same time then they're just like but she was with her one policeman said and then the other one was like no she wasn't oh well we don't have to chase anyone anymore Uh," and then walked away it made absolutely no sense I'm so glad that you said that because I was reading it like okay I get that they lost sight of her for a second but why would they suddenly be like she's gone (laughs) (laughs) poof and she is gone like it was just ridiculous right Right in front of your face she's the one that looks really sad about the other one jumping in the bridge but but she's wearing black and so are lots of other people it was about it was a pre-victorian era everyone was wearing black literally everyone (laughs) why they wouldn't arrest her did she just run out of time when she got to the end and just fucking throw anything? No, it was terrible. I just can't with any of it. But the thing that really upsets me, and I think this is maybe, it, it's a bit personal because I'm going through my stages of character development right now. And I'm doing like, I've been doing courses on it and stuff like that because I really want to get it right because it's important. And <laughs> the thing is, when you're building a character right, you want it to make that person as complex as a real person so your readers can get behind them and the biggest thing that really wound me up other than that shit show of a final climax scene was that (laughs) Nella had this miscarriage and you know she was wronged by this man and so then she kind of wanted to kill him but her entire life after this event that was also underexplained in my opinion for justifying why she would then want to continue with the life that she's led yes it was so one note her whole life had just been this morose thing that she couldn't control properly even though it's supposed to be a fucking feminist book and then that was it she just felt that one emotion her whole life you honestly took the words out of my mouth there I wanted to highlight how you can see that this author and I think potentially why it's been so prolific this book is because you can see that she's attempting to write a feminist piece she's trying to trying to write a book about women and about women's relationships and in that sense that it's about women and women's relationships she succeeded but the protagonist or one of the two protagonists of this book her entire life revolves around what a man did to her yeah yeah and she makes it her central ethos I mean I don't mind it so much with Caroline because it's happening now and she's processing it as it's happening but with Mm. Nella it's it seems like it's defined her entire being before yeah. we get onto the feminist part, can I just float a sort of fan theory that I have of mm. what the actual dark subplot and character development of the book is? Mm. So, like when I first saw the the book, like on the shelves, I thought this is going to be a, quite dark and maybe a bit horror-y almost. That's yeah, that's what I was term. hoping for. I thought it was going to be something really morally ambiguous and dark and kind of rocks your world a bit. And obviously it wasn't. It, a lot of the reviews said it felt very sanitised, like a sanitised horror story. And I agreed mm. with that. I mean, for me, the bits where Nella was trying to go off on one and speak quite metaphorically about how her body was crumbling and she was rotting at the core made her sound a bit like an emo in 2007 trying to sound edgy on MySpace. Yeah. I didn't think it was very good. I thought she just sounded a bit contrived. A lot of the reviews also said, you know, it didn't embrace the moral ambiguity of of women poisoning men. It would have been a really interesting take and something quite dark. But the only actual interesting dark plot line is the fact that Eliza is genuinely a psychopath. <laughs> whatsoever about orchestrating and helping to carry out multiple murders she goes from little girl on the farm <laughs> to murdering everyone harvesting beetles to murder people and she seems to have like a spring in her step 
for the whole book. She seems only mildly stressed throughout the entire thing. (laughs) She's the darkest character in this whole book. She's fucking terrifying. She's 12 years old. (laughs) (laughs) But they could have gone so deep with that. They could have fully embraced that the should have been the twist. Eliza. I thought the only way this book could be redeemed is if they get to Blackfriars Bridge and she fucking throws Nella off there. I thought and that was what was going to happen. She did it all and then takes over the apothecary. I thought that that was what was going to happen. Yeah. And when it didn't happen, I was furious. Because well, how wouldn't that be? And she's built up this whole book to be all like f- feminists, women looking after each other, all these great relationships. And then Nella trusts her so much. And then she just fucking switches and is like... Eliza, don't take no shit. (laughs) One of the best feminist books I've ever read is The Power by Naomi Alderman. I think I've mentioned it before. I'm obsessed. I love it. It's so good. It's basically in an alternate world where women gain a power so they're more physically strong than men. And it goes through literally the entire structure of society flipping on itself. So you start with the patriarchy as it is, and then it flips over into a matriarchy. And the process of that happening, fabulously done, amazingly researched, Really, really, really good. But the moral of the story of that book is that actually we're all the same. Women would be just as bad as men. So it's Mm. really, really incredible to read. And I was kind of hopeful that that was what we were going to get from Sarah Penner is that, like you said, we were going to get this well-researched little psycho that was actually then going to be like, yeah, well, you know, we're not all friends at the end of the day because some of us are crazy. Like, Mm, (laughs) And I thought that that would have made it at least, like you said, sort of thrillery, horror-y. I would have really liked it if they'd have gone into more about, okay, and I can't believe I'm saying this, if they'd have gone into the stories of the men a bit more, and I'll tell you for why, because we get this terrible thing that's happened to Nella and it's horrible, you know, it's awful what he did to her and and we feel for her in that single instance. But during the time that Nella was alive, I mean, men were completely dominant over women in in 99% of everything. Mm. And we didn't really get to hear about that. You know, we we got little snippets of how the Lord basically gets to do whatever he wants. But I really would have liked more stories of the men that had been poisoned and how there was this systematic oppression. You know, kind of like how, I mean, it's a big shoes to fill, but kind of like how Margaret Atwood creates this rousing solidarity when you're reading these female characters you want to help them and you care about them and you feel their plight and it brings you to tears and and I want really wanted this book to do that I really wanted to see the injustices but we only yeah. kind of really see the poisonings and we don't really get a lot of don't get me wrong horrible old pervy lord touching up Eliza is gross but Tell me more about that. Yeah I was saying? the same I craved some description every really good book has fully formed male and female characters. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's the biggest, biggest pitfall, and I'm such a solid fan, but it's the biggest pitfall on Lord of the Rings is in the film mm. franchise, the female characters are not fully formed as yeah. they are in the books. Yeah. Um, and so it's the same issue, but backwards, isn't it, in this one? So I agree, But it also Sid. would have given us a bit more justification to the poisonings. I think it would have been a really interesting format to get a few more female characters in that book to tell their story. You know, I'd like to have seen more of the women that come to Nella because if you've reached the point where you want to murder someone, you want to poison them, that's not, unless you're Eliza, that's not an easy thing to do. (laughs) Eliza is loving it. Yeah, Eliza's (laughs) all over it. She's like, oh, I found my vocation. But you, you have been pushed to your absolute limits. 
So I really would yes. have liked to have to have heard more of those stories. And I think that would have been quite an interesting anthology to, yes. to read about. Do you guys think the Caroline subplot could have just been completely done away with? It should have been. There should have been no Caroline, in my opinion. It didn't need it. You know what she could have done is she could have done it from the two points of view of Nella and Eliza. Yeah. And what else she could have done is she could have set the story more of the big book's been found if she's committed to the big book, you know, mm. with all the names of the women in it. And now we're interviewing, like you said, Sid, the women who have hired this woman to poison their husbands, sons, whatever, and hear all the stories of why. I would read that book. <laughs> I thought, you guys said you thought the ending was going to be something with Eliza. I was hoping and thought that the ending was going to be Nella was arrested and then Eliza, having escaped, gathers up all the women that had visited and they band together to get another pardoned. Oh, that would have also been a good book. <laughs> but, yeah. I, I thought that Eliza was going to use the book to track down all the women that Nella had done a favour for and call in the favour. Oh, because, you know, there were some very yeah. high up women in there, wasn't there? And then I thought that was going to be the you know, women rising up and looking out for other women and us not being pitted against each other and us looking out for each other and, and, and it just didn't happen. No. <laughs> Instead, the policemen were like, oh, I, don't know, I don't know where she went, governor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would have done away with Caroline's subplot entirely. I think it would have been written very differently. I just fucking hate her. <laughs> but I don't know, because I think I see what she was trying to do. I think she was trying to illustrate how... Women back then and women now are going through similar struggles with men and how, you know, she was tying the two stories together and making us as the readers empathize more with both the sides of the story. I can I can see what the kind of the idea was there. But with this book, the premise, as you say, Emma, is so promising because for me, the idea of this myriad of stories from all of these slighted or more than slighted, you know, abused women banding together to take back some small control is a really interesting premise but it was just executed in pastels yeah. rather than oils it was it was in pastels it was in kath kidson it was just you know <laughs> pg it was <laughs> just <In> kath kidson. <laughs> i wanted morticia adams not the brady bunch <laughs> Do you guys think that this is a feminist book? No. Feminism is something that I'm really passionate about and really interested in. So why wasn't I engaged? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing for me that made me think this isn't a feminist book, and it, this is one of the reviews on Goodreads as well from uh, Claire. She says, um, here's a quick rundown of the female characters in this book. Nella wishes she was pregnant. Caroline wishes she was pregnant, spends the majority of the book thinking she is pregnant. Lady Clarence wants to murder her husband's lover so she can get pregnant. <gasps> Eliza is 12 and thankfully is not pregnant, but she does think her period is a ghost, which I think deserves an honourable mention. Gaynor is actually a historian <laughs> and is, of course, exempt from pregnancy and thoughts thereof. So every single character has something Eliza, to do with Eliza pregnancy. ends up having two babies. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, she has two children and, and a husband who just lets her do whatever she wants to do. So she can be happy, finally. With her children so, and yeah, her Yeah, so she can finally be happy. Oh my God, that is such a good point. Even Caroline's mate back in America has just yeah. had a baby. Everyone wants babies. Everyone's got baby fever. You know how I also know that this isn't a feminist book? Is I only found one angry male one-star review. 
<laughs> so if it had done its job, there would be more. <laughs> I mean, I, you're so right. Look at the vitriol around uh, Handmaid's Tale. You're yeah. so right. So, so many men going, this would never happen. Okay. But men, <laughs> as far as the eye can see. Again, a lot of it is like, I see what you were trying to do. You mm-hmm. didn't such do a it. good idea. Sarah, she, if you are listening to this, you had a good idea, babe. She tries to do the thing where Caroline's like, okay. I don't need no man. I'm going back to school. But then, you know, she's not pregnant. She's pretty upset, isn't she? Let's yeah. be honest. And she magically gets into Cambridge, which... <laughs> Yeah, the process of her getting into Cambridge is literally like, and she is unclear, is she doing an English literature degree? And yet she's like, my dissertation is going to be on this little room I illegally broke into. And I'm she like, that's not applied, literature. She applied online. She says that she applied for Cambridge and then she applied for a divorce and it was all done one evening. Big fast <gasps> bosh. <laughs> that, it takes months. What are you, to Cambridge that they just went, yeah, go on then. I'm <laughs> in. Some random American woman wants to fulfill her dream. Guess we better save a couple of slots for that. Like, you know, I was trying again. I was really trying to put myself in in her mindset when she says she throws the bottle back into the sea, like the end of fucking Titanic, and she yeah. tries to do that. That like this. angered me too. It's the whole premise of her dissertation. Maybe she sang that in her in her Cambridge interview, which she did in one night. <laughs> She, she tries and you know she's trying to do this thing where it's like oh the bottles for her the secrets for her and she won't tell people about the book and she won't tell people and i'm like well then you don't have a dissertation yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well then write your dissertation on something else if you want this whole thing to be a secret then don't publish it or publish it with all of your findings <laughs> Yeah, it left me with blue balls. Like I said, it was like a bad day. I have blue balls. And you know what? It made me feel really, really bad for JK Rowling that we ripped her to shreds <laughs> for those fucking strike novels. You no, know, they were shit, but I really enjoyed listening to those. Sexy Hagrid, what's he going to do? <laughs> and at the very least, it was you wanted to know what happened next. Whereas this, I was like, I got halfway through and it was just disappointment after disappointment. And I thought, I don't actually give a shit anymore about what happens to these people. Thursday Murder Club, we all said was, you know, fine and and nice and everything, but not mind blowing. But we all fairly enjoyed it. Like Mm. none of us hated it because it was it had merit. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I would I would definitely still recommend the Thursday Murder Club to certain like family members and stuff for holiday reads and things like that for a nice light read on a beach. Mm. Would I recommend this for a nice light read on a beach? No, I would not. I would not recommend it to anyone. I will never read it again. (laughs) Emma, did you audio book this or or read it? I managed to get the audio book in the end, but I had to get it from America. I audio booked it. I read it. The the accents were something. Oh, really? Oh, my God. There is something so grating about an American person trying to do an English accent. Yeah, I'd give it a one and a half, to be honest. Yeah. It was. That's it wasn't fair. so bad that it was offensive to me. It mm. was just really quite it Aggra- boring. It was yeah. boring. So, so boring. And aggravating. Like, yeah. I felt worse after reading it than I did before I started. Yeah. I didn't find myself excited to read it like I have some other books. I didn't find myself, you know, not being able to stop. No. I kind of just thought, right, well, I'm reading this for the podcast, so I will continue to read this for the podcast. Honestly, if I wasn't reading it for the podcast, then I don't know if I'd have even made it to the end. 
yeah. wouldn't have made it to the end. I would have the very because I'm stubborn as all fuck. I probably would have made it to the climax with the policeman, and then that would have been the point where I would have actually burned it because I have a stove in my house. Yeah, <laughs> it's not even. I, it's not even that I just disliked it. I just don't think I would have felt inclined. Uh, I'd probably go with the two. There were parts that I found engaging. I quite liked. I quite liked the bit with the Beatles. That was all right. Did it remind you of the Woodlouse? <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're eating. <laughs> there were good bits. Like I said, the early on descriptions of Nella, I liked because I felt like the tone was different. I, I It was far too sort of like flowery American-y for me with the Caroline stuff, even at the beginning. But, you know, at the beginning of late 18th century London, I was on board enough to keep going for that. And then it just petered out. I can't believe it's taken me this long to voice this annoyance. In fact, this was my least favourite part of the book. Towards the end, when Caroline meets up with her ex and they sort of agree to get a separation or she tells him he's going to get a separation, uh, she has half a bottle of champagne the night before and then in the morning says she has the headache to show for it. Oh, yeah. God. You had two glasses of champagne. You had two. You didn't even, you left. It went flat. You didn't drink the whole, you're getting a fucking, if I was getting a divorce, do you know how many bottles I would, oh. Yeah. Uh, that was the <laughs> other thing. When she went for lunch and she had two glasses of red wine and she was like, well, it's lunchtime. So that's enough. I'm like, that bitch has never been to a bottomless yeah. brunch in her life. Didn't they both get pasta and then she ate half of hers and he went off and left his whole bowl of pasta and she just went, righty ho, better pay the bill and left. I'd have put my whole, especially if my (laughs) partner had turned up who had cheated on me, as soon as he'd left that restaurant, I would have eaten that with just my face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, baby, you've just been cheated on. You're like the other side of the world on holiday and you can't relax enough to have two glasses of wine. I think at lunch she still thought she might be pregnant though didn't she oh yeah that's true oh maybe yeah whereas the bottle the half bottle sorry of champagne she had in the hotel i didn't even know those existed (laughs) no 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 she left half the bottle oh i see right that's even that's the worst bit yeah she opened a whole bottle and she left the oh that's she says she says they left the hotel have got a bottle of champagne for her in the fridge because it was her anniversary and she decides that she's going to be this strong independent woman she's going to go to uni she's going to leave james and then she gets the bottle of champagne out and she has two glasses and goes oh i've got a headache that's enough and in the morning she's got a hangover Gaynor is going to be disappointed if they go out for drinks together. I'll tell you that much. Gaynor was buzzing for cocktails. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I had half a Cosmo and now I have to go home. Thank you, Caroline. I've, I've been for drinks with that girl, and it's just such a disappointing girl day. Like when you turn up, and the other person's just like. I realise we're probably alienating the sober listeners out there. If you're sober, we respect that. That's great. If you're getting divorced, don't open an entire bottle of. If it's hotel, let's be honest, very expensive champagne. Drink half of it. <laughs> it just instantly made me feel like we wouldn't be mates. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't, would we? <laughs> what would she do if she came round to one of our nights in? That was it. You know, I thought <laughs> I'll give her the benefit of the doubt, and then when she yeah. then, then then the audacity to say you've got a hangover in the morning. Yeah. I feel like because of the scathing reviews that I've had, that I just don't have an awful lot more to say about this book. What do no, we think? I, I have nothing else to add. It was it was not good. 
this always tends to happen where we have a really contentious book that we all feel a lot of ways about. The recordings tend to go on for hours, whereas like with this one, it's like, and I'm spent. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was I was really irritated by a lot of the writing and a lot of the holes in the plot points, like you said, and the ending. I'll take her characterization over Rowling's. Um, at least she didn't, you know, describe everyone as fat or unattractive or spotty, or she didn't particularly go into the physical attributes of the characters, which I quite That's liked. True. I know, but she did overuse the word sighed and gasped. Mm. It was all just very like breathy. And like you said, for a supposedly feminist book, it was just wildly unfeminist. I think one of the reviews actually described it as misandrist. You know, you could see it that way because every single bloke in there seems to have been an absolute piece of human garbage. There were very few redeeming men, apart from the mudlarking guy, who was just like a sort of caricature of a posh person. The kid that (laughs) owns the magic shop. Oh, yeah, Tom, whatever his name is. Tom Fiddle. No, Tom Pepper. Pepper, wasn't it? (laughs) Was Tom Pepper a ghost? (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't know how she'd have two kids with the guy. Oh, yeah, I keep forgetting. She get, I skim-read the last bit, so I keep forgetting <laughs> that she got married. Yeah. Oh, Weird little house children. And- <laughs> you know what? I just More and more, I just despair because this was top 10 New York Times bestseller. Yeah. Most anticipated in 2021 by all these big names. And, okay, yes, you know, the synopsis, I'm sure, was fantastic. But the actual content was not. Yeah, it was um, I think it's a classic case of someone saying, oh, look, a feminist book. We like feminist literature. We need that. This is, you know, Mm. people are claiming equal rights now. Woo. And everyone going, woo. Yeah. Upgrade, upgrade it. I don't want to be seen as an arsehole. Upgrade, upgrade. And actually it's like, it's not a very good book. And you know what? You you said about Margaret Atwood and The Handmaid's Tale as a comparison earlier. The one thing that she says, she wouldn't include anything that wasn't true. She wouldn't include anything that was unrealistic. And I think this this was just an amazing example in comparison to that of just what not to do when you're writing yeah. a book like this. I'm going to draw probably quite a strange sounding comparison, but I watched it recently and I, I really enjoyed it. So have you guys seen the remake of Murder of the Orient Express? It's fun. It's silly. It's fun. It's silly and fun in the same way Indiana Jones is silly and fun. It's a really nice Sunday afternoon film, I call them. Got and it. Chris and I watched it recently and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And what Agatha Christie does is she, big spoilers here. So if anyone doesn't want to know a very, very big twist in an admittedly very old story, please skip ahead about 20 seconds. But plot twist is that everyone did it. Everyone's in it together. The whole, every single passenger on the train is a a part of the murder of this guy. And Mm -hmm. the reason that they all get together to kill him is because he murdered a little girl. And they all knew the little girl and he murdered her in a really brutal way. And they really go into the backstory and they go into how this has hurt and affected all of their lives. And it makes you absolutely empathize with this terrible thing that they did. They all stabbed the man to death. They all stabbed Johnny Depp to death. And you don't for a second think, oh, you should all be in prison. You think, yeah, yeah, that that seems right. And I really think this book had an opportunity to cultivate that feeling of, I understand why you're doing this. That's what I'm trying to say with... I wish that we'd have got more context for these these poisonings. Am I making sense? Yeah. No, completely. Yeah. We had such a good opportunity, definitely, with this to get behind Nella and abused women and 
women that were, you know, in positions of, of real weakness because of them being financially dependent on men or physically dependent on them for their livelihoods or whatever else. And um, none of that was conveyed. It was it was more just discussing, like you said, all the lists of different tinctures um, yeah. <laughs> rather than actually the reasoning behind it, which was just more important. I didn't realize I was so angry about this one. (laughs) (laughs) I I am though, because it was, I was so looking forward to it, actually. This was one of the ones I was looking forward to the most. Yeah, Um, that's the thing. I was so looking forward to it. I thought it was going to be a really, really good read. Like it just had those sorts of reviews where it was like, oh, I just couldn't put this down and all of that. And then it was fucking awful. Did um, we have anything else to say on the Lost Apothecary? No. All good. I think I'm done. I think two, I'm spent. Two twos and a 1.5 seems mm. fair. I would reduce to 1.5 almost, to be honest. Oh, like, right. yeah. But I mean, yeah, there are thereabouts. It's the takeaway not... being you had a good idea. Mm. She had a very good idea. She did not translate it to me as a reader, at least. Clearly, lots of other people felt differently. There were quite a few five-star reviews. But overall... No, but I don't think, I mean, I'm getting to grips with, I much prefer the Goodreads reviews and the ratings tend to be a little bit lower, which I think is sort of more accurate. But I mean, even then, they averaged 3.8 out of 5. That is generous. It was the most anticipated of 2021 by Newsweek. Amazon reviews, 52% of reviewers gave it five stars. Jesus Christ. Out of 10,166 people. Is it us? <laughs> Are we the baddies? <laughs> I don't know, but apparently, so two stars on Amazon, only 5% of reviewers gave it two stars and only 3% gave it one star. So we are not in the majority. Fake <laughs> feminists, far- fake feminists everywhere. <laughs> At least as far as Amazon's concerned. Um, but no, I stand by it, sod it. So what do you think? If you've read The Lost Apothecary or enjoyed this week's episode, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram at Bookmarks and Booze, or feel free to email us at bookmarksandbooze at outlook.com. As always, thank you so much for listening and supporting our podcast. Make sure you tune in to our next episode in two weeks' time for more books, booze, and brutal book reviews. <laughs>